Well, good morning. We want to welcome everybody out, whether you're watching us by way of live stream, you're at our Midlothian campus, and thank you guys for letting me drop in on you today, or at our Colonial Heights campus. Now, I know that there are some of you here on this campus and in our other uh, locations that are thinking, well, I only came today because I thought Pastor Randy was going to be back in the pulpit. And I can tell you that I have thick enough skin and I've been to enough therapy that I can handle that slight. But I do want to tell you that Pastor Randy will be back in the pulpit next Sunday, so I want to encourage you to plan on being here. He's got a great message from God that he's going to bring to us. And I also want you to know he asked me to announce that even though we're not quite back on our regular Wednesday night schedule yet with all of our activities... Uh, this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, we will be having our churchwide prayer gathering that we do once a month. Uh, so this Wednesday night here on our Colonial Heights campus. And so please make plans to be a part of that if you can. I was reading this week, and I don't know exactly how I missed it when it actually happened. But back around the first of the year, there was a video that very quickly went viral, very quickly spread all across the Internet And it had to do with a woman who had a Google Home device. And so she had recorded one day as she asked Google the question, who is Jesus? And Google couldn't answer. said, I have no answer for you on that. And uh, as you can imagine, that uh, struck a lot of people as odd. Some people had made mad that he couldn't do that, especially when she could ask things like, who is Buddha? And it could give her the answer to that. Even who is Satan? And it gave her the answer to that. But it couldn't answer the question, who is Jesus? Now, Google had an explanation for it that didn't please anybody and didn't make much sense to most people, but they did have an explanation. But I got to thinking about it, and I thought about the fact, you know, that question of who is Jesus? That's one that's baffled a lot of people throughout the ages. It, in fact, is the most important question that anyone can ever ask. And thankfully, even though Google couldn't answer it, God's Word does. So I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Colossians. And we're going to begin reading in the first chapter. So Colossians chapter 1. And Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae. And he writes it because what's happening at this point in time is that there are those who are teaching falsely about Jesus. And maybe the only thing worse than not knowing who Jesus is is to know lies about who Jesus is. And so Paul is addressing this and he's sharing with them the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And we pick it up here in the 15th verse of the first chapter. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have him, to have in him all his fullness dwell, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Spire heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Father, we come looking to your word and looking at, Lord, the greatest question that anyone can ever ask. Who is Jesus? Father, for those of us who have already discovered and been blessed and changed by the answer to that question, Father, may you use today to help us to be better prepared to tell others. And Lord, for the many who've not yet truly understood the answer, who've not yet truly accepted what you did for us through your son Jesus, Father, may today be the day that we understand and not only understand but respond and be transformed and changed by your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul begins this passage as he talks about who is Jesus, and he says he is the image of the invisible God. The word image there is a Greek word, icon, which is a word we get icon from. And it's an interesting word because in the Greek world, it was a word that carried two nuances of meaning. And the interesting thing is, whenever you use the word, you are actually using both of those nuances. It's just that you put emphasis on one more than the other, depending on how you were using it. And so one of the nuances, one of the meanings of the word was simply a representation. And so that would be the way the word was used if you were talking about looking into a mirror. In other words, when you got up this morning, and as I look out here, many of you Use mirrors, and some of you evidently didn't have any, but that's okay. As you looked in the mirror today, you saw an image in there. That image was not you. It was a representation of you. It's the same way it's used on a coin. You know, on a coin, you take most of the U.S. coins, and they have some kind of image on there, whether it's a person or, you know, a buffalo or whatever it is. There's an image on there, and that is a representation of that thing. In other words, when you use it in that way, you're talking about something being a symbol. It is a symbol of that. And so as he uses this word here, Paul is saying that Jesus is the representation, the symbol of God. But what he's really emphasizing is the other meaning and the other nuance. And that is that as an image, it is the manifestation. It is the actual presence of whatever it is that you're using the image of. And so what he's saying here as he writes this is that when we say that Jesus is the image of God, we are saying that Jesus is God. He was the invisible made visible as he came here to earth. And so when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about God. In fact, look again at verse 19. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus was every bit God when he came. I like the way Jerry Vines, a great preacher uh, of our day, puts it. He says, the birth of a baby is not an unusual thing. It happens all the time. But Jerry Vines says, when the Bible talks about the birth of Jesus, he says it's a virgin-born birth. And virgin-born birth is a unique thing. In fact, it's only happened one time in history. He said, when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we're talking about God coming to earth. And he goes on and talks, he says, when Jesus was born, God was born. When Jesus was born, we need to understand this, the infinite became an infant. 
the creator became a child. The ancient of days became a newborn baby. The God who thunders in the universe became a baby crying in a manger. When Jesus Christ came, he was the image of God. When he came to that stable in Bethlehem, God in his fullness was in that stable. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But you know, as we think about that, some folks will say, well, wait a minute. The Bible also talks about us being made in the image of God. Is that the same thing? Answer is no, it's not the same thing. Listen to the difference. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about us being made in the image of God, and that's what it says. God said, let us make man in our own image. And so God in his own image created man, and he created them male and female. Notice that he created them. He made them. We are made in the image of God. What that means is we have some of the characteristics, some of the personality of God. The fact that we need relationships. That is part of our God image. That is part of us having the characteristics of God. The fact that we can love and that we can think and that we can reason. Those are all part of being made in the image of God. But with Jesus, it doesn't say he was made in the image of God. What does it say? He is the image of of God. And that's a big difference there. And so God created and made us in his image, but Jesus already was in his image. He is God. And so he says here, he is the image of the invisible God. But then he goes on to say, not only is he the image of the invisible God, but Jesus is the creator of all things. Again, look at what it says there in verse, at the end of verse 15. He says, he is the firstborn over all creation. And then into verse 16, for everything was created by him. And then later in that verse, all things were created through him and for him. Now, we read that that word firstborn, and it may throw us a little bit because some folks will say, well, wait a minute, does that mean Jesus is created? Well, firstborn carries again with it two ideas, two meanings. It can mean two different things. It can literally mean the first one born. For instance, I am the firstborn of Ralph and Ruth Osborne. I'm the oldest child, the oldest son. I'm firstborn. But it can also mean, instead of that biological order, that birth order, it can mean prominence or position given to somebody. And we see an example of that in the Old Testament when we're looking at uh, Abraham's children, and it tells us that Isaac was the firstborn of Abraham. Now, when you're talking just birth order, biological, he wasn't. Ishmael was the first son born to Abraham. But Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was the son of position. And so that's why scripture calls him the firstborn. And so when it speaks of Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, it's telling us two things. It's telling us first that Jesus came before all of creation, but it's also telling us that he has supremacy over all creation. He is in control. It says, in him all things were created. Now that right there kind of clears it up a little bit because if he were a created being, what would that mean? He created himself because it says he created all things and that just doesn't make any sense at all, does it? See, Jesus was there before creation and he created everything that is around us. You know, we have within our fellowship in our church now thanks to our community groups 
a community of artists. We have some folks who are gathering to learn how to paint and do other artsy kind of things. And an artist will tell you this about art. It says, in a piece of art, you always see something of the soul of the artist. When you look at the piece of art, you're going to see something about that artist. That piece of art is going to speak to you about the artist. And that's true in creation as well, isn't it? If we look around at the creation that Jesus did, we see and we hear Jesus in it. Listen to Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. So who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. Who is Jesus? He is the creator of everything. Who is Jesus? He is the very ground of our being. He is our foundation. Scientists will tell you that there are four forces of nature that are the cohesion that holds everything together. They're what holds the world and the universe together. Those four things are gravity, electromagnetism, weak force, and strong force. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you as I studied that and thought about that. The first two sound pretty impressive, don't they? Gravity and electromagnetism. The other two sound more like when you let your kids name your family pets and you're going home today to be greeted by dog and cat. Isn't it? I mean, it's not a real scientific sounding thing, and yet... It is something that is recognized, something that is noted, something that is known by all the scientific community. And uh, even someone like Stephen Hawking, who many regarded as one of the wisest, smartest men that ever lived, who died recently. Uh, you know, one of the things I don't believe he was very smart on was in his relationship with God because he didn't pretend to be a believer. He didn't uh, follow anything with that. In fact, he said that he didn't have a conventional concept of God and creator. But even Stephen Hawking says, you know, the ultimate goal of the scientist, the ultimate goal of science as a whole, is for us to discover that that unifying thing that is the cohesion for all the universe. That strong force that holds it all together. And so brilliant people like Hawking and others, they, as much as they understand and, and acknowledge that that force is there, they, they can't tell you what it is. They can't explain it to you. Now, all these brilliant people have worked at it, but you're in luck because I'm here today. And in my brilliance, I'm going to share with you. No. No, I'm not going to share with you what I know. I'm going to share with you what the Bible says. The Bible tells us what that force is that holds everything together. It is Jesus. It says in him, everything is held together. Jesus is the cohesive force that holds our universe together. But I'm going to acknowledge a fact this morning. There are a lot of you here today who are not nearly as concerned about what holds the universe together is you're concerned about what can keep your world from falling apart. You're not as concerned about what it is that holds your feet here on this earth as you are concerned about what is it that can keep my family from disintegrating. And I'm here to tell you this morning 
that the same Jesus that can balance all the world and hold it in cohesion can balance your broken life as well. Jesus put it this way. He says, all you that are weary and burdened, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So understand that. He is the ground of our being. Well, who is Jesus? He's also the head of the body. In Scripture, there are three main ways that it uses to describe our relationship as the church, as the body of believers with Christ. One of them is a marriage. It says that we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. Another way it describes it is in the idea of building. It says we are living stones that are built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, who is also the chief cornerstone. But the way that's used most often is the idea of a body. All of us in the church, all of us as a body of believers, we are parts of the body. The hands, the feet, the arms, the legs. But it says the head of the body is Jesus. So keep that in mind. When you see in Scripture talking about Jesus being the head of the church, it's not talking about being the head as in the head of a corporation, the head of a company. You can get rid of the head of the company, the head of the corporation, and it will still function. But you can't get rid of the head of the body and it function. It's in Jesus that we find the source of new life. And the closer we get to him, the more his life flows through us. So we need to understand that. And then it goes on to say that he's the firstborn among the dead. And what that means, it's talking about there, is the resurrection. That Jesus Christ who died rose again. But he's only the first. He says there are more to come. Who are the ones to come? Those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have the hope, the assurance that one day after we're dead, we're going to rise again. And we're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. And so God shares that with us. He is the head of the body. He's firstborn among the dead. But then one more thing that he gives us here. It's found in verse 20 there. And it said, he is the fixer of life. And I want to read you the paraphrase from the Message Bible. It says, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, Animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. What a great translation of that. What a great paraphrase of that verse. You see, we're all born with a problem, and that problem is sin. Inherited sin and sin that we commit on our own. And what that sin does is it has a snowball effect or a chain reaction. And it continues to affect on down the line and continues to affect other areas of our lives. But the good news is we have somebody who is a fixer. We have somebody who came and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins that our lives might be fixed. It's an amazing thought. It says right here that... He reconciles us to God. And that word reconcile there is a hyper-intensive word. And it was really specifically had to do with putting back together the broken pieces of a vase. But as Paul uses it here, he's not talking about a vase. He's talking about you and me. 
And he's talking about Jesus Christ coming to put together the brokenness of our lives. The word literally means to put together. Jesus Christ came to this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you and I might be put together. You see, because of his humanity, he was able to reach out and take the hand of mankind, as sinful as we are. And because of his divinity, he was able to reach out and take the hand of the holy God. And at the cross, he brought those two together. And that's reconciliation. That's what Jesus did for us. So he is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of everything. He is the ground of our being. He is the head of the body. And he is the fixer of life. But bottom line, who then is Jesus? Jesus is a love that you can't fathom. A life that can't die. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. Who is Jesus? He is a peace that you can't understand. A rest that can't be disturbed. Jesus Christ is a joy that can't be diminished. Who is Jesus? He's a hope that never disappoints. He's a glory that will never be clouded. He's a light that will never be darkened. Who is Jesus? He is beauty that can't be marred. Wisdom that can't be baffled. Resources that can't be depleted. The Bible says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who is Jesus? He is the one in whom you find everything you need for this life and the next. Who is Jesus? He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the answer. He is the invisible made visible. Who is Jesus? He is the Savior to the world. As I was working on this message and thinking about this whole idea of the image of God and what that means for us. You know, it's one thing to understand a concept. It's another to apply it to your life, right? And yet that's what Scripture's all about. That's what God's all about. He wants us to take his truth and apply it to our lives. And so I was thinking about that idea of image and I was drawn to a story I heard about Ravi Zacharias, the great Bible teacher. And he was teaching on the 12th chapter of Mark. And in that chapter is the story of a guy who comes to him and tries to trick Jesus uh, as he asks him basically the question, do we have to pay taxes? Do we have to give to Caesar the taxes? Now let's be honest, don't we wish he'd given a different answer? <laughs> be nice on April 15th if he said, no, you don't need to pay taxes. But Jesus, in his wisdom, was just so brilliant in his answer to this guy. He asked asked him this. He said, do you have a coin? And he took the coin and he said, whose image is on the coin? And the guy answers and he says, Caesar's. And Jesus says, "Give give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to Jesus what belongs to Jesus. Now, Robbie makes note, he said, you can tell this man's whole questioning was disingenuous. 
He said, because if it was genuine, he would have asked the next logical question then, which was, what belongs to Jesus? At which point, Jesus would have answered, whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you. And I don't know about all the rest of them in here, Lord, and listening over TV and listening at Midlothian, but Father, I'm going to tell you this. That thought, whose image is on me, humbles me. Sometimes even embarrasses me, Lord, because I know I fall so far short of being totally and completely surrendered to you. Father, as I said at the beginning, there are those of us listening to this message who know the answer of who Jesus is. He is my Savior, my Lord. But Father, I believe there is something that you're teaching us who already know the answer in the midst of this sermon. Father, how closely are we walking with you? How surrendered are we? to your lordship and how faithful are we in telling others about this Jesus who changes everything then father there are those here today who've never yet personally experientially answered the question of who Jesus is in their lives and today father as your holy spirit has spoken to them i hope they realize that Jesus is your image Jesus is your son. Jesus came to be their savior. He died on the cross. Shed his blood. His pure perfect blood for their sins. That they might be reconciled. And be in a right relationship with you. And father my prayer is also. That they will respond to that understanding. They will respond Lord to that gift you give of salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, whatever we need to do today, however we need to respond, Lord, Father, may the pull on our heart and the burden on our beings be so great that we cannot leave this place today without doing business with you, without being responsive, to what we feel. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.